Okay, we've been working through uh, creation, and we come to chapter one. <laughs> That's where we started, and we're all the way to chapter one already. And uh, so <clears throat> we want to think about uh, the fifth day of creation. We've had the first day when God said, let there be light. The second day when God said, let there be a firmament and made the air. And then the third day when uh, he separated uh, the water from the ground and he covered it with plants. And then the fourth day was what we talked about last week when he made the, the sun and the moon and the stars up in the heavens to rule over the day and the night. And now we come to the fifth day of creation. We're in Genesis chapter 1, the fifth day of creation. <coughs> and we're going to look at, start at verse number 20. Here's where it gets pretty amazing when we think about it and try to wrap our head around it. So we're going to be looking a little bit at evolution tonight as uh, that applies, or maybe I should say doesn't apply, <laughs> to what we see here. All right, verse 20 of Genesis 1. And God said, Let the waters bring forth abundantly the moving creature that hath life, and the fowl that may fly above the earth in the open firmament of the heavens. And God created great whales. I want you to just keep that in your head, what we just read. God created great whales, and every living creature that moveth, which the water brought forth abundantly, after their kind, and every winged fowl after his kind. And God saw that it was good, and God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful, and multiply, and fill the waters in the seas, and let the fowl multiply in the earth. And the evening and the morning were the fifth day. And so we had four days where God was preparing the world for life, and he made uh, air that we could breathe, light that we could see, ground that we could walk on, and oceans separated. And then he covered everything with plant life. And now he's going to prepare to fill those spaces. And first he fills the sea with creatures. And I'm glad that he says great whales and every living creature. We think about what lives in the sea. Pretty fascinating, right? We all know fish. I got fish in my pond. You go down the pond, there's a fish there. There's several of them, all right? Kids come and catch them, have a good time. We know what fish look like. But we think about what's in the ocean, and God made all those things. There's an amazing variety of things in there. Uh, jellyfish. Maybe you've ever seen a jellyfish. It's just water. It's 95% water floats around in the water and it's the strangest looking thing you ever saw. It doesn't look like anything else on earth. Uh, sharks, you've seen those things. Crabs, crabs in the water. Lobsters. Um, octopus. There's a strange looking thing. It's, uh, all its legs and tentacles creeping around down there. Eels. Looks like a snake in the water. Blowfish. Uh, one thing after another after another. There's a huge variety of life 
in the ocean. Most of us never see those things. If you live on the ocean, you're more likely to see them. But most of us never see those things, so we're not used to the variety of life. And they keep finding new things, because they could go down, down, down in some places where the Atlantic Ocean is so deep it's never light. And they go down there and they find creatures with no eyes. It's just amazing what's in the water. And we want you to see that it says, God filled the waters and he put great whales. And whales are going to become an issue in our discussion tonight. We think about all the things that God put there. And I want to go into the next day, too, because we'll be thinking a little bit about that, too. So, verse 24, And God said, Let the earth bring forth the living creatures after his kind, cattle and creeping thing, beasts of the earth after his kind. And it was so. <clears throat> God made the beasts of the earth after his kind, cattle after their kind, and everything that creepeth on the earth after his kind. And God said, saw that it was good. And so now everything exists. <coughs> He's created plant life. He's created fish that live in water, animals that breathe water. Uh, he's created birds that live and fly around in the air. And that firmament that he made. And now he's created every kind of animal creeping, large, small, all kinds of animal, and they're uh, covering the earth. And he tells them all, be fruitful. I want everything to be fruitful and multiply and multiply and multiply. And so uh, there it is. We started, well, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, ever since the beginning of time, when Moses, not in the beginning of time, but when Moses wrote this, about uh, 5,000 years ago, uh, Moses wrote this, where he said, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And uh, people have been reading the Bible for 5,000 years, and reading that passage, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And so we believe that God created a lobster. What gave him that idea? That's the strangest looking thing you ever saw, isn't it? You look at a lobster, you say, wow, look at that thing. Who thought of that? All right. And there's all sorts of creatures in the sea that we never could imagine. And then they come out and the birds, and I grew up looking at birds because my father was a bird man. And uh, we looked at every kind of bird imaginable, wandered around the swamp looking at this bird, that bird. Whenever he saw something unusual, he'd take us to see it. And so I saw a golden eagle years and years ago around here, which nobody's seen for years. Right? And uh, we saw all kinds of things that, that he pointed out to us. I remember on Roberts Road there was three birds and nobody could figure out what they were. My father went and he said, those are demicell cranes. And they, everybody said, well, how do you know what that is? He said, well, they come from Africa. And everybody said, you can't have an African bird on Robert's Road. And it can't be true. Well, it was true. So everybody was coming to look at these cranes and my father said, it's really no big deal. Why don't you call the zoo? <laughs> so they called the zoo and they said, do you have demicell cranes? They said, we did, but three of them got away. 
and they were on Robert's Road. So, you know, uh, my, I, I've been around birds all my life and watched birds of all kinds, and it's amazing. You know, you watch, you watch uh, a hummingbird. This is the most fascinating thing that God created. It goes backwards. He could fly backwards as easy as he can forwards. That's just amazing. And they were, I was reading about a bird that flew from uh, South America uh, up to Alaska, and they had a tracker on him. And he, in nine days, he flew 7,000 miles. And says, we can't, we can't do that. On a, on a plane, you can't do that. He just got going. <laughs> and so here's these creatures that God made, and they're so different and so unusual and so really. And then we go on to look at uh, animals in the earth, and we have this fantastic uh, display of every kind of animal you can think of. And so God, with his creative mind, and that's all you can say, would you have thought to make an animal with a neck that goes up 18 feet in the air? I didn't ever thought of that. You know, we got a giraffe. He's eating off the top of the trees. You know, God gave something a neck <laughs> that's that long. You know, and so many things are so unusual, and uh, we can watch these things. I'd been out in the swamp when there was three feet of snow and a little ermine sticks his head out of the snow and looks at me. Goes back down, comes up. I watched him for about half an hour. He's just playing in the snow. People never see them because they're very unusual to see. But he filled the world with those kind of things. And so uh, then along came a fella. And I'm not blaming him totally. But I am going to blame him some. All right? Named Charles Darwin. Charles Darwin. And Charles Darwin is the guy that we say was responsible for that thing we call evolution. The theory of evolution. We're going to think about that a little bit because we just decided, and we just read here, that God made everything as it is and it reproduces after its own kind. And so that's been clearly said for thousands of years. People have had access to it, and they read it. Now along comes, and it wasn't just him. He's the one whose name gets put with it, but he wasn't the only one. And there'd be a series of things that included in what we call the theory of evolution, and that is we started with no life, and we went to life. There wasn't any life, and all of a sudden there was life. And that happened, uh, according to the evolutionists, a certain way. And then we started with very small, and we went to large. We started with simple, and we went to complex. And this theory of evolution based on the idea that there was no life in the world. And then all of a sudden, something happened. Just the right combination of energy, electricity, whatever it was. And all of a sudden, there was one cell there. 
That's all it took. Here we go, we're rolling. <laughs> all right, and so he said, and, and this, all these things, those things happened by accident. All this stuff happened by accident, and there was no design. It all happened by accident. Now, what is this statement we're going to talk about? Evolution. It is rebellion against God. Make sure you get it. It's rebellion against God. We have this record that's been around for thousands of years. It says God created the heavens and the earth, and God created the fish in the sea, and the lobsters in the sea, and he created the ducks flying in the air, and he created the animals on the ground, and he created everything after its kind, and he saw that it was good, and it's been there for thousands of years, and now along comes in the 1800s a guy who said, now, nah, God didn't do that. God didn't do that. So it's a rebellion against God. We're going to figure out a way for these things to exist without God. We don't want to admit that there's a God. And if the Bible says God created, we're going to say, no, there's going to be some other way that it came to be. And these other ways that it came to be will <coughs> start with the fact that there was no life on earth, and then all of a sudden there was. Here it tells us very precisely in Genesis there was no life on earth, and then there was plant life, and then there was fish life, and there was bird life, and then there was animal life, and of course the last one that we don't go to tonight, there's human life. All right, and so those things God put in the world in how long? Six days. The six days of creation, and God did that in six days. And so the record is here of what God did and what He said and what He created, and so forth. And so humans come along and say, "Nope, no God. We're going to have to figure it out without God." So we're going to make some decisions how the world came to be. And the first problem we got is where did life come from? Where did life come from? All right. I talked last week about the Big Bang Theory. Remember I said that uh, they were trying to figure out, well, how do we make a world? How does the world come into existence without God? And so. They said, Einstein said, there's a big explosion, a big bang, and everything burst into being. And somebody asked him, who, who lit the fuse? <laughs> How'd there come to be an explosion? And he wouldn't answer that because what would the answer be? God would be the answer. All right? So it's a rebellion against God. And it is constantly true that there is a particular rebellion against the creation being from God. All right? That's very popular today. What do you think your LGBQ, whatever they are, community is all about? It says God made male and God made female. And we say, no, he didn't. No, he didn't. He didn't. He didn't. He didn't. We don't accept it. 
plain as a nose on your face, okay? Yes, he did. No, he didn't. It's rebellion against creation. And when you say, no, no, I'm not a male, I'm a female, or vice versa, what are you saying? God made me that way, and I refuse to believe it. I don't accept it. I'll decide myself. And so rebellion against God, against his creation, is real popular. And we look at today, one I often talk about is the, the talk about <coughs> uh, global warming. Man is going to control the atmosphere. Yeah, all right. You know, I mean, if anything ever made any less sense, is that you can go outside and tell it to do anything. Wait, <laughs> Jesus stood in the boat in a wild storm and said, Peace be still. And it happened. I've tried it. <laughs> In the middle of a howling blizzard at the end of my driveway, and it didn't, he, the words blew right back down my throat. <laughs> I said, You can't do that. You can't control the atmosphere. You can't control the weather. But it's a rebellion. Say, so, Yes, we are. We're in charge. We can take charge of the weather, and we're going to do it. And so that kind of thing. Against God creating it. Because if, if God created the sun, like I said last week, God created the sun, he got a lot of power. Oh, and if he created millions of them, wow. So who do we think we are? And the Bible says, uh, when I look up at the sun and the moon that you created, who is man that you even pay attention to him? a very good question. The point of creation is for us to see how big God is, how magnificent he is, how creative in particular he is, and say, yes, I'm with you. I love what you've done. I look at your creation, and I can see your magnificent hand in everything from the the bird that flies through the air to the fish that jumps out of the pond. We've got your hand on everything. And so it's bowing down to God and saying, we believe in you. We know that you're real. Evolution comes along and says, we do not accept any of it. We refuse to believe that God created. That there is a God who could create. And so we go off into a little bit of uh, thinking about that idea and the rebellious nature of it tonight. And think about uh, some of the things that have come to be because of evolution. And like I said, they believe that single cell <coughs> creatures came from nothing. All right. And it's interesting that a good scientist came along and he proved that to be not true. And people have tried to prove it since. So they take, take a, a test tube and take a, a stalk of wheat and fill the test tube with water and put the wheat in there and leave it for a little bit and then examine it under a microscope and that tube is swimming with life. Got all kinds of one-cell creatures and bacteria all in it. So he said, well, how are we going to get rid of that? So pull the wheat out. And they boil the wheat for two hours in hot water, kill anything that's in it, 
And I'll put it in the water, look at it, it's still full of life. All kinds of little creatures swimming in the tube. So I said, okay, we'll boil the water too. So they boil the wheat stack, boil the water, put it all in the tube and watch it, and it's still full of life. There's one more thing we can do. So they clean everything with acid, boil the water, put it in a tube, boil the wheat, put it in a tube, and then seal it so there's no air. And finally, nothing grows in the tube. In other words, the world is teeming with life. The water is teeming with life of all kinds, and so is the air you breathe. All those things are full of life. Like little bacteria, we got very afraid of one called COVID, right? <laughs> and it's everywhere, it's everywhere. Well, that's kind of the way life is. God has filled the whole world with life. The water's full of life, all right? The air's full of life. And the only way they could stop it was to seal it after they boiled everything and killed everything, seal it off and so that it couldn't get life out of the air. And some guy who was a smart fellow named Pasteur, Louis Pasteur, he said, he did that experiment, and he said, I found out that if I sealed it off so that no air got to it, that I could keep the bacteria out. And it's called Louis Pasteur, pasteurization, right? Pasteurization. And that's what they do to milk, and that's what they do to cider. They heat it up to a certain level, kill everything in it, seal it off, and now it's, we say, pasteurized. Louis Pasteur said, if I shut the air off to it, I can control that life. If I leave it open, it just grows. And so we live in this world that's full of life. Louis Pasteur said everything's got life in it, and the only way is to, is to turn the air off. And then I can fix some of the bacteria problem. And so uh, he did that, and this test tube and the wheat thing was something that they did uh, just to prove that there's and even the air itself, there's all sorts of living beings out here uh, floating around in the water and everything. There is some kind of life, be it however small. Right? And so that kind of life uh, <coughs> is there. Now, what they said, evolution says there was no life in the beginning. We say that too, because right? he created the waters and the dry land, and there was no life until he put plants in there. Right? And so, so there was no life, and then God said, here, let's make all different kinds of life, and God put life in. And they say, no, it was an accident. Right? It was an accident. It was accidental. <coughs> and they tried to <coughs> say that some strange... A freak thing in nature happened and it created a one-cell creature. And he got excited and turned into two cells. You know, and then they grew into four and uh, they grew into ten. And then one of them popped an eye out somewhere. And then they were floating in the water 
and they decided to grow a couple legs and we can crawl out of the water. And how long did it take? Well, it took a long time. How long? Well, it takes millions of years. It takes millions of years for these things to happen. Which, of course, creation in biblical account is six days. And life came in three days. In the fourth day, plant life. In the fifth day, fish and birds. And the last day, animal life. And so they say, well, that creature, we waited for him to come out of the mud for a long time, and he finally came out of the mud. What happened to him? How did he finally get out of the mud? Well, he was a mutation. <clears throat> Something happened to him. He got a little sunburn or whatever it was, and he mutated, and he became something different. Well, how long did that take? Oh, that was millions of years. And so when he finally crawled out of the water, then we had to wait for him to grow some feathers. And then he had to grow wings, too. And it goes on and on and on, and it's kind of ridiculous. It's kind of ridiculous. And so the idea, for example, of a mutation, changing something, and it went from simple to complex, and it kept getting, everything kept getting better. It got better and better and better. Uh, and so they did an experiment with something that they could do and count generations. And a fruit fly lives a couple days, okay? And so they said, well, we could do a thousand generations of fruit fly, and we could mutate them. And we'll zap them with a little uh, radiation ray, and uh, we'll see if we can mutate the fruit fly, see what happens. And we can do it for, you know, 500 generations, because it's only a couple days, and you got a new generation. And so they did. They took fruit flies and they zapped them and they got a fruit fly with one wing. Or they zapped them again and they got a fruit fly with no legs. Or they zapped them again and a fruit fly with no eyes. All right? And they zapped and they zapped and they zapped and they mutated and they mutated and they mutated and they went hundreds of generations of fruit flies mutating and mutating and mutating. And when they were done, they were still fruit flies. They were deformed, messed up, unable to function like they were intended to function. But in all them thousand generations that they zapped fruit flies, they never got a mosquito. They never got a spider. They never got an ant. They just got a messed up fruit fly. And so from that, they said, well, you know, the mutation was tending to lead everything downward, not upward and improving. Instead of going from simple to complex, it was going down the list. And so. They said, because of our experiments, because what we see a lot of times with mutations, mutations happen. And they said, when we see those things, uh, we don't see improvement. We see deterioration. 
So the idea that that little one cell got mutated into two and ten, and then all of a sudden you had a leg by mutation over millions of years, well, that was kind of hard to buy because they couldn't do that. And every time they mutate, why? Because God said he made it to reproduce after its own kind. So the problem we have with evolution is that what we call, <coughs> we've come to call the missing link. The missing link. What do I mean by the missing link? Well, if there was a monkey who gradually came up from a frog and turned into a monkey finally in a hundred million billion years. And then he improved, got mutated, improved some more, and finally became a human. If that's so, then somewhere in between the monkey and the human has got to be this creature that's half and half. And if uh, uh, a frog mutated into a lizard, somewhere there's got to be a half frog and half lizard. And if a fish mutated into a lobster, I don't know what you call it. <laughs> and so people have said for years there's a missing link. And so we're going to go back, they said, into history and use what we call fossil evidence. We're going to use the fossil evidence and look up and find some fossils uh, that have to do with the missing link. And so here's where the evolution story uh, really kind of got messed up. When Darwin came along and said, here's evolution, we believe that a species can change to another species. Right? That a bird will eventually become something else. And that each one of these is going up and becoming more and more complex, from small to large, better and better. And so if that's the case, he said, uh, uh, there's got to be missing links. And so what happened, and this was in the early days, the end of the 1800s, early 1920s, up to 1920s, people would go out and, for example, over in Europe, they found a jawbone. And they said, this jawbone is bigger than a human jawbone generally is. And so we believe that this jawbone that we found this nice big old jawbone. Uh, certainly must have had a head on it. So they said, here's what the head looked like. And they made a flat-headed thing like that. And they said, there's Mr. Flathead, they like to call him. And they said, there. And so they published that jawbone with a picture of the head that they created out of their own mind. All right? Went all over the world. Here's the jawbone they found. Proof that there was the missing link. This is between the ape and the human, this jawbone. Right. Then somebody found a population down in the South Sea Islands where all these humans just had bigger jawbones than everybody else. But they had regular heads. <laughs> well, those things got to be kind of out of hand. There's a guy 
and I think he was uh, in uh, out west somewhere. He said, "I have found the missing link. I have found uh, the head that proves part of the head that proves there was a creature between the monkey and the man. I have found him." And so he again created a picture of a head. And it was a head that had big old teeth. And he made this monkey head out of it and he printed it all over, went all over the world. It's probably still in books today. And somebody said, We want to look at what you found. Well, finally he had to give in and it was a tooth. <laughs> he just had a tooth. And somebody got a real good look at it and said, That's not a human tooth, that's a pig tooth. But nobody corrected the textbooks. Nobody changed. Went back and said, well, that whole thing was a fraud. We've got to change that. No, no. no. And, and so these things are happening early on, and they just made what it, kind of made it up. They found this head of a fish. Look, they said, this head kind of looks like a fish. And uh, so we, we got this fish head. So the rest of his body had two fins, and he's got a fish tail on the end, and that's, he's the fish that goes in between uh, the frog and the fish, and the, now he's got a fish tail. Well, they didn't have any of the skeleton, all they found was a head. Well, a couple of years later, they found a whole skeleton with the same head, and it had four legs. It was never a fish. But when you look in the history books, or in the <laughs> science books, they'll show this same head as a fish. Even though they found later on it was a mammal, had four legs. Right? They didn't change the books. They don't go back and say, all right, that, that was somebody pulling our leg. That was a pig's tooth. That was just a human jaw from some guy that had a big old jaw. It wasn't a flat monkey, because there was no head when they found it. And so those things were building a case more and more against uh, God. And we'll say, well, why, if they wasn't correct, why didn't they just stand and say, oh, sorry, it was a pig's tooth? Because it's a rebellion against God. We don't care how we get there. We don't care if we have to lie a little. And so they spread their information all around and lie a little, and they're happy with that. Uh, and there's other things in evolution. Charles Darwin did say that the whales, and that's why I mentioned when we read about the whales on the fifth day, Right? It said God made whales. On the sixth day, God made man. Right? So Charles Darwin said that the bear was the father of the whale. You say, well, how do you get? Well, there's some whales that sort of have a head a little bit like a bear. Not much. All right? <laughs> Not much. A little bit. And this is the kind of thing that created this movement in uh, 
evolution. And so Charles Darwin said that the bear was obviously the forerunner of the whale. And you say, well, how could you say that? You're a scientist. Well, they get this big old whale out of the ocean, okay, and, uh, you know, he's got his backbone and all that. And down in here, there's a bone. It's sitting there, kind of off by itself. And so Darwin says, well, that used to be a hip because it used to have legs. And when he got in the water, he really didn't need legs anymore. So over a few million years, uh, the leg went away, and we got this little useless bone in there. doesn't serve any purpose because the leg is gone now. The leg is gone. Well, <laughs> that's kind of a backward sort of reasoning, but uh, when they got a hold of these whales and they did a study on them, this bone here is used in uh, reproduction of the whale as he's reproducing. That's a bone that gets used a lot, all right? It's got nothing to do with it, it used to be a leg. But that's the kind of reasoning that was very popular, and it was sweeping through uh, all through science as they're trying to say, well, here, here's how things happen. And so another part of, uh, of uh, evolution is to do with this millions of years idea. And so... They go down in the crust of the earth. And this, this is strange to me. You heard of a creature called a trilobite, maybe. He uh, swims in the water. Uh, he's got little legs on the side of him. And uh, he's just an ugly little creature uh, swimming around the water. And so they find fossil evidence. And these are big things. They find fossil evidence. So they go dig up and they say, from this point of the ground, uh, let's see, it's 900 million years, and we found a trilobite. <laughs> oh, no, we found one over here on this place, and this one was only, you know, a thousand yards below the surface, and he's a trilobite. So the question is, can't you find a trilobite? If these are supposed to be millions of years apart, isn't there one somewhere that's the missing link? How did he get to be created with these little hairy legs on the side of it? And they can't find that. And when they go in the fossil record, they say, we're going to find a fish that's losing its tail. Well, they can't find that. They find fish. They find lobsters. They find trilobites. They find dragonflies, they're still the same today. All right? They did not change. And so time is one of their things. They just cover everything up with time. And they said up in Iceland, the ice has been there for millions of years. That ice has been laying in Iceland for millions of years, and every layer of ice that comes when we dig it up, there's a layer, there's another layer, another layer, another layer, and so on. When it gets down far enough, 
we can't count the layers anymore, but they said those are years. And so we're going to count down and see how many years there are by counting each layer. And we'll figure out how old this ice is. And they come up with some phenomenal number. All right. And who could argue with it? Nobody wanted to argue with it, except for if we believed in God. All right. And now something happened, <laughs> very unfortunate for them, called Mount St. Helens. 30 years ago, Mount St. Helens blew its cork, right? You had a, a, a volcano there. You had a hot magma came out and blew all over and wiped out the mountainside. And so um, they decided, well, that's a good starting place. Uh, the ice now on Mount St. Helens is 300 feet thick. And it's been there for 30 years. The whole concept that each layer is a year was not even close to being true. This was a snowstorm. How many of those do you have in a year? Right? So this, these next 10 layers could be one year. And so they got 300 foot of ice now on Mount St. Helens that has occurred there in 30 years. Not 30 million. Okay, 30 years. And so it messes up this long time frame that they're trying to use to uh, confuse the issue. And we'll talk more about this when we get a little farther on because it becomes very significant a little farther on. But I want to talk about a couple of things more about uh, evolution. Because there's some fascinating uh, examples of things that were created in nature by God. And they were made exactly the way he wanted them to be. And one of them is a coconut tree. Down in the South Pacific, there's coconut trees that grow on the islands down there uh, right along the shore. Now, maybe you've seen a coconut. It's not that little round thing you buy in a store. I mean, that's a coconut, all right? But when it grows on a tree, it's got a husk. The husk is big, big like that. It's a great big thick husk. And so when the coconut palm grows a coconut, it's got this big husk on it, falls down, gets ripe, falls on the ground, the waves come up, take the coconut out to sea. Now, if it didn't have the husk on it, it just roll down the bottom of the sea and rot, and that'd be the end of coconut. But this husk makes it float. And so when the waves come up and a big wave comes and sucks the coconut out to sea, it floats out there in the ocean wanders around and eventually through the movement of the tides and so forth and the waves, it washes up somewhere on shore. And the salt waters kind of deteriorate the husk, the little lands on shore, it sprouts and grows another coconut tree. We call that design. Right? In God's creation, there is, we'll even put, intelligent 
design. Or God created the coconut so that it could reproduce, be fruitful, and multiply. And he had to put on that seed a great big husk. Now, if you want to take evolution, would say, well, it's just going to form a little seed, and the husk will have to form later. And if it forms later, all the things are rotten on the bottom of the seed. It's got to be their first coconut tree that's got to have a husk on it. It can't develop it over a million years or it wouldn't exist anymore. And so we have what we call intelligent design. And God looked at the coconut trees. I'm going to plant them on the ocean, use the ocean to extend the life of coconut trees. And so he puts a big husk on it. It floats out to sea, comes back in, and gets replanted somewhere. Right, so that's an example of what we call intelligent design as you can't wait for things uh, to grow up. <clears throat> so there we see the seeds of a tree as God created them to live and be fruitful. There's another interesting one, the Socorro cactus. You've seen those pictures in the old cowboy movies, them great big huge Cactuses look like a couple arms sticking off them. Great big thing, just covered with th thorns, nasty things. And you'd say, well, how's that thing out in the middle of the desert, how's that thing going to survive? Well, God created a woodpecker. It's called a Gila woodpecker. And he lives on the Sequoia cactus. And what he does is he goes there to the sequora and he pecks. And you see woodpeckers pecking on trees and so forth. They can really knock a hole in them if they want to. He goes to the sequora and he pecks and he carves himself out a hole, a nice big hole. And he waits a little bit and it dries up and turns hard and he makes a nest in there. So now he's nesting in the sequora. So he eat the seeds of the sequora, fly around dropping seeds as he does, okay, planting sequoras here and there and everywhere. And later on, another bird comes. He can't do anything with that sequora, but the woodpecker already made a nesting hole. And so some other bird flies into the hole. Now he's there and he's eating the seeds, and pretty soon the sequoras are being seeds are being spread all over. You'd have thought when it's all full of these big, sharp, nasty needles, nobody's going to go near it. But God sent this woodpecker to make a hole so that the squirrels could actually become nesting spots for birds. But it had to have one with a hard enough head, woody woodpecker, okay, hard enough head to make a hole in a tree and make it so it'll accept the bird. The birds then live there and spread the seeds all over the desert. And we have sequorals all over. What is it? It's intelligent design. It's God creating things in an intelligent way so that they can be fruitful and multiply like he wanted. All right, now let's look at another one, which is probably one of my favorite ones. And it has to do with bees. The evolutionist says that the honeybee came from a hornet. So there was hornets, and another million years passed, and a whole bunch of mutations 
and he turned into a honeybee. Okay. Well, the problem with that one is kind of fascinating. Honeybees are extraordinary creatures. They got six legs, okay, and uh, they go from flower to flower, and they have this extension, and that extension goes down in the flower and gets a little nectar, all right? He's, he's looking for that nectar. And as he does, he gets all covered with pollen, all right? And he'll get absolutely covered with it. Some plants are just full of pollen. He'll be absolutely covered with pollen. And so uh, there's a couple things that got to happen. Uh, he's got to get rid of that pollen because it'll fell up his nose and he'll suffocate. On his front legs are these two little crooks. And these little crooks have these tiny hairs on it, up and down the crook. And when he gets all covered with pollen as he's drinking some nectar with that long extension he has, uh, he's drinking the nectar, he gets all covered with pollen, he uses his front knees to clean his nose and get his pollen out so he can exist, so he can live. And then he wipes the pollen down to his back legs, and on his back legs, he's got different type of hair, and that hair grabs a hold of the pollen, and it will roll it up into a little ball of pollen. And he'll get a little more and roll it up and store it in his hind legs and eventually fly back to the nest and dump off these two pollen balls off of his back legs and that's where your honey comes from. The pollen that goes back and creates the honey, okay? So there's two things they said. They said, well, he had to count on evolution so that uh, nose of his that reaches down the flower would get long enough so he could get in there. He can't wait a million years. He's got to work today. All right? He, he's going to get in that flower and extend that extension of his down into that flower. It's got to be there the first day. All right? He can't be like the, the wasp he's supposed to, hornet he's supposed to come from who doesn't have any of those things. Hornet doesn't have the hair on his front legs and the different hair on his back legs. And so uh, the honeybee is an interesting example of having to be there right away the first time. Why is it? He's got to be there because <clears throat> he'll suffocate without it. And so he's been made particularly well. So the honeybee, uh, somebody said that the the theory of evolution falls, rises and falls on the knees of a bee. That these front legs with their little crook and the hairs in them that clean off the bee's head help him to continue to live, moving it down, storing it in his back legs, and he creates fruitful, right? Comes fruitful, he makes honey, and his young live off of that honey, and they go out and they do it again. It's an intelligent design. He can't wait for a million years for those hairs to grow on his leg. All right, and so we have a lot of that intelligent design in creation. All right, so life doesn't come from no life. And that's the present, main 
thought we're going to look at just now. Does it go from small to large? One of the things that they found, and this is an example of the error in thinking. They found a horse, a fossil. It's a little horse, like this big. And they said, okay, all horses were small. Because we found a small horse. And, of course, they go from small to large. And so now, millions of years ago, that horse was just a little small thing. And eventually he grew up and got a little bigger and a little bigger and a little better until he was what he was. And so they said that small horse proves evolution because we got big horses today. Well, I hate to disappoint, but you go the next road over and there's a horse this big. And there's two of them in a pen over there. I go buy them all the time. There's a little horse he's this big. Then you go to, used to go down to Bob's, there's a donkey this big. Now he's a little bigger, right? And then somewhere Bob had a mule and he was this big, right? Then you go down to Amish and they got a horse who's this big. And then you got those Belgians and they're this big. And they all exist at the same time. So you're going to say one turned into the other, turned into the other, turned into the other. No, they're all here now. So it's kind of a logical, simple way to look at creation and see within it an intelligent design. And God has intelligently designed things. It didn't happen certainly by accident. That bee can't survive by some accident freak of nature. After all, we made a thousand generations of fruit flies and they were all deformed. <laughs> they weren't existing. All right. they, weren't, they weren't improving, that's for sure. They were deformed, okay? So uh, within what God says about creating life, there's a very intelligent design. It goes from woodpeckers and cactus uh, to coconut trees uh, to horse sizes, uh, fruit flies. We go from one thing to the other and we see it. But now there's something to me that's much more fascinating than all that. Hebrews chapter 1. We open up a door of possibility here. That really creates a challenge in the mind. But it says it here. And we've got to consider this possibility. Hebrews chapter 1. God is about God, who at many times, many manners, spake in time past to the fathers by the prophet, hath in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the world. Now we talked about that before, right? Jesus the Creator of the world, God, what God thought the Son bought, okay? Who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power. What did that just say? It said that he made creation. As we read, he filled the ocean with fish 
and the air with birds and the land with people and everything covered with plants. And he created all these different lifestyles and life forms. And then it says here, he upholds them by the word of his power. Hmm. So, we say, well, why does the earth exist? Because God created it, right. But why does it exist right now, today? Right now, you and I are sitting here, why does it exist right now? He upholds it by the word of his power. And if he decides, I'm not going to uphold the world anymore. And he withdrew the word of his power, what would happen? Would there be life? No. He could pull away his upholding power. Now that's not the only place it says it. In Colossians chapter 1, back a few, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians chapter 1, we get again the creation Colossians 1, verse 16. For by him are all things created that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible, invisible, whether they be thrones, dominions, or principalities, or powers. All things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and by him all things consist. So, Here's what it appears to be saying. That life, any form, whether it be fish in the ocean, birds in the sky, animals running along the ground, or us sitting right here tonight, exists. We have life because he is putting it in us and allowing us to have it. Upholding it by his word. And so not only did he create life, but he sustains it every day all through his creation. And so that if he said, I'm done with this human race, watch this. The whole material world would cease to exist if he withdrew his power from it. That means your life is entirely in his hands. Now when we go to that step, and we're going to say, ah, oh, God didn't make me. <laughs> you shouldn't be saying that. Because you're alive. You're breathing right now because he said you could. All right? That changes creation, doesn't it? And we think, well, God created it, and then he just turned it loose and see what happens. No, 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 no. He created it, and he sustains it, and he upholds it, and he helps it to exist and consist. God is allowing you to live. He's giving life to everything from that bird over in that tree over there to the fish in the pond to you and to me so that here's a being. That sustains all living, whatever it is, from plant, animal, fish, to human. 
And which one of all those says, no, only human? Deer don't say that. And the birds don't say it. And the plants don't say it. The human, no, 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 no. And rebel against God. And so it shows the, well, one more in John chapter 1. We've read this when we did 1 John quite a bit. Verse 3, John chapter 1, verse 3. All things were made by him, that's Jesus. Without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life. Not only did he create life and turn it loose in the world, but he has it in him. And the life was the light of men. And the light shined in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. So in his creating power, whether it's the magnificent starry sky at night or the mighty Niagara or the great oceans or the Rocky Mountains or wherever you can think of, everything says what? God made me. God made me. And then along come us and say, not me. He made me. Oh, yes, he did. And not only did he make you, he's holding your life right there. You live because he said you could. It changes the idea of creation. Not just that he created it, but he extended his energy into creation so that all life is dependent on him. That brings us next week to and he made man. We'll go on to that next week. Thank you.